Welcome to this week's episode of Past Deadline, the Ithacan's weekly news podcast, where we discuss the biggest stories of the week and how they came to be. I'm your host, Sophia Tulp, Managing Editor here at the Ithacan. Today, we're going to be discussing another one of those buzzwords in political discourse. We'll be addressing the Antifa movement as a whole, a recent event organized here at IC, and the connection between Antifa and college campuses across the country. This week, we'll also be doing something a little bit different. I'm excited to have a guest with us who is not an Ithacan staffer, an Ithacan editorial board member. Today, we actually have Caleb Slater. He's the president of the Ithaca College Republicans Club. So hello, Caleb. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me on. Before we begin delving into Ithaca College, let's talk about what Antifa even is. So it might seem like a recent group that has cropped up due to like national headlines appearing more and more frequently, but it actually has a pretty extensive history and past. So first of all, um, Antifa stands for anti-fascist, hence Antifa. Um, And what it is, is it's kind of a loosely affiliated, far left-leaning, anti-racist, and obviously anti-fascist group. It appeared um, less as a title and more as kind of a philosophy during World War II to counter the fascist uh, government in Italy and also the uh, Nazi regime in Germany. But recently, it has kind of reemerged, and it monitors and tracks the activities of local neo-Nazi groups in the U.S. However, the movement doesn't really have like a cohesive structure or governing body or any kind of national leadership. It's more of like a grassroots, like people independently will have Antifa chapters, so to say, um, and they kind of operate in fractured groups, like not a cohesive unit. Um, is that how you understand it, Caleb? That's a pretty um, accurate depiction if we want to be very vague. In terms of it not being um, by any accurate person, I would say that there are foundational principles and guiding ideologies that they all hold together. Um, When you're talking about Antifa, historically, yes, it was uh, a group in both um, fascist Italy under Mussolini as well as under Germany that was trying to, you know, go against the status quo, so to speak. It was fighting against that fascism, that that ability to target certain groups, whether it was blacks, Hispanics, gays, um, Catholics, Masons. I mean, the list goes on and on on who the fascists targeted. I will say that there, there is a fundamental difference between the origins of that movement and where it is today and what we're seeing across not just college campuses, but what we're seeing internationally. And in, you can take a look at what happened at the G20 summit. You can take a look at what happened um, in the University of Toronto just about a year ago. So Mark Bray's presentation, which we'll talk about here in a minute, he did a very good job of giving a historical timeline of Mm -hmm. the background of how Antifa came to be, what the principles of anti-fascism were over the several decades. But what he failed to talk a lot about in his presentation and only really talked about it during the Q&A portion, and even there it wasn't consistent, was what exactly is Antifa today? What Mm -hmm. are we seeing Mm -hmm. in 2017? And what we're seeing in 2017 is very dramatically, drastically different than what they were doing in 1943. Right. So actually, that's a great segue. Um, Why are we talking about it today. So I would kind of trace it to President Trump's comments during the aftermath of Charlottesville. So Charlottesville as a whole where protesters convened, um, there was a white supremacist march and um, Antifa was there as well, kind of countering that message um, by that group as well. 
and a woman was actually hit by a vehicle uh, when it plowed into the crowd. And in response to this kind of overall tragedy, Trump called Antifa the alt-left, kind of in contrast to what we also call the alt-right on the other side. Um, And he also made this claim that a lot of people took issue with, but he said that, um, quote-unquote, many sides were to blame for the violence in Charlottesville. And a lot of people didn't, like I said, didn't really agree with that sentiment, particularly because it was an alleged white supremacist that actually killed the protester that drove the car through the crowd. But that's kind of where um, I think most people who haven't been following Antifa, most like common people would like hear that word and think, oh, that's what it's in relation to is like what happened in Charlottesville. But the reason why Antifa is also considered controversial to a lot of people is because they're known for their like protesting tactics. violence, damage to property, um, at the University of California, Berkeley, so another college campus, um, Antifa protesters were wearing, you know, their signature all black and these black masks, and they threw Molotov cocktails um, and smashed windows at the Student Union Center where Milo Yiannopoulos, another an, an alt-right speaker, um, was supposed to hold an event, and that was subsequently canceled because of the violent nature of that um, counter-protest. That's a brief rundown of why you might have heard Antifa in the news lately. Um, Do you have anything to add on that? I'm very glad that you added the second half to it, because when President Trump first made those statements about the alt-left, the reason why he was using that is that was the best descriptive form that he could use to describe that, hey, this is also a radical group. When I was initially watching the live streams before the unfortunate event happened to Heather Hare, which is very tragic and I'm very sorry that there was a loss of life in Charlottesville I noticed that there was going to be something bad to happen because you had two radically extreme groups one being the alt-right the neo-nazis who I absolutely despise and the other one being the far-left Antifa who wants to suppress and silence speech who I also despise I have friends who have been um, under the the attack of of Antifa at University of, of Berkeley. I know the executive board there. I met them personally. I what, They talked about what happened during the Milo Yiannopoulos event. They talked about the Molotov cocktails, the people who were pepper sprayed, those who were assaulted and went hospitalized because of the black bloc signature uh, move by Antifa. But what didn't get covered was a few days after the event, once the storm was over, there was a member of the college Republicans there. He wasn't even dressed in anything political. He was on his way to class and some members of Antifa jumped him as he got out of his car. That's something that wasn't covered. Something that didn't get national attention was at University of Buffalo, UB, several Mm -hmm. hours away from here. Mm -hmm. I know students who were physically assaulted there when they invited an economist because they felt that that economist was spewing hatred. The problem with what's going on with the modern day aspect of, of, of Antifa is that their goal is to combat violence, which on its face is a very reasonable goal. Mm -hmm. But in their mind, anything that they disagree with is considered verbal violence. Mm -hmm. So if you follow where I'm going with this, the only way to counter verbal violence is with physical violence. So if you bring someone that you disagree with, a Milo Yiannopoulos, an Ann Coulter, or even a Ben Shapiro to campus, the result. And Bark Bray kind of touched on this. He did say that Antifa isn't very classical liberal in the sense of free speech. They don't have that same value system of the First Amendment that the Western Mm -hmm. world does. So the point of what I was getting at is I'm very glad that you brought up both points because 
there was this mainstream discussion of it was disgusting for him to say on many sides. And in the point that I agree with was if we're talking about directly the, the result of Heather Hare's death, I mean, Antifa wasn't responsible for Heather Hare's death, but they are responsible for many other attacks that are occurring, not just in this country, but as I mentioned, Toronto, there's also um, the G20 summit. And you're actually sitting here talking to someone who is also a victim of attack by Antifa mm -hmm. over the course of the summer. I went to a vigil hosted by Syracuse Black Lives Matter to mourn over the death, over this tragedy that happened in Charlottesville. And I know going into this, I mean, there were socialist groups, there were different groups that I may not agree with politically that were hosting this, but mm -hmm. I thought it would be a good idea to show my presence, to show that we may not agree with each other on a lot of things, but mm -hmm. one thing we do agree with is any loss of life in this country is a loss. And it's our responsibility to come together for this. Mm -hmm. I was wearing a hat that day from an organization that I really enjoy. They're called Young America's Foundation. It's a group that um, seeks to educate young people about conservative values. So I was wearing that hat to show, yeah, I'm on this side of the spectrum, but I don't condone the alt-right I don't right. like you didn't go to a Black Lives Matter hosted event to cause trouble no I went there and I was the whole time I was taking photographs I was praying I was with the group mm -hmm. and I also noticed in the group there were some people from Antifa and I noticed they were from Antifa because they were wearing the black block as Mark Bray talked about they had the Antifa flag as depicted in his presentation and when I saw them there I knew to stay away from them because my friends from across the country have warned me if you see these people stay away don't interact don't cause because they mean trouble mm -hmm. so i stayed away from them but at one point they saw me one of them saw the hat i was wearing and they started calling me a lot of expletive names next thing i knew they surrounded me like a pack of wolves tore the hat off my head one of them was choking me by the camera strap and they threw me into oncoming traffic. The video, um, I leaked it to the media, uh, whatever footage I could get before they turned off my DSLR. I, it got over 60,000 views on YouTube. Where can we find that for people who are interested in For those who are that? interested, it's going to be under the uh, Young America's Foundation's YouTube channel. I can send you a link to it after we're done with this podcast. But I, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. Mm -hmm. I, I learned a lot because I, here I am. I'm trying to... I didn't... First off, there was no just cause to mm -hmm. attack me. I was there doing nothing different than anybody else. Mm -hmm. But what I noticed is that these are people who don't necessarily practice what they preach. Yeah. The modern day Antifa are people who are exercising viewpoint discrimination. And they, when they say they're going after hate and bigotry, they never define what that is. And that's a dangerous thing because hate and bigotry, if you don't define it properly, it's a very subjective term. And somebody such as myself, who's just there practicing nonviolence and practicing um, sympathy and practicing, you know, trying to mourn over the death of others because you see that one characteristic, you associate all of these other traits with it and then you get into a dangerous situation and that's unfortunately what is actually happened. That's why he called them the alt-left because of those tendencies and what you're doing when you silence people it's kind of I find it a little ironic that they use it in under the name of anti-fascist because the first step to fascism is silencing free speech right and I think that um, Democrats and Republicans both kind of condemn those alt-right and alt-left I mean most I don't want to make a very broad statement here mm -hmm. but you sitting here as a 
as a self-identified Republican, you don't agree with all the actions of the alt-right, do you? No, of course not. Right. Actually, and I think, um, I think also like liberals and Democrats tend to kind of discredit that alt-left as well, some of them. So like, right. I think it's important to remember that there are two very far extreme groups that aren't, they don't really share many of the same values as like what you would consider a Democrat. No, they, they absolutely don't. I think the problem with Antifa specifically, though, is that the narrative is not being told correctly. When I watch, turn on CNN and I see Don Lemon um, inaccurately depict what their goals are, or maybe their goals are well-intentioned, but how they go about achieving those goals are malicious and violent and not acceptable. You know, that's what makes it a big difference. I mean, both sides are going to disagree and are disgusted with the alt-right, but I don't think that there's enough discussed with what's happening with Antifa. One of the reasons why the alt-right is not a conservative or a libertarian movement, and this is very important to note, is because any group that sees your self-value based off something you have no control over your sex, your gender, your orientation, your birthplace, these are things you have no control over. Conservatives and libertarians and Republicans, generally speaking, one of the defining characteristics of them is the individual. Who are you as a person? What is your character? What is your trait? The alt-right sees your defining trait as something you can't control. Your skin color. You're supremacist if you're white. That's not a conservative value. You are better if you have good character, if you have good intentions. What can you contribute to these worlds? These are things that conservatives and libertarians look at, and Republicans as a whole. Those are just two categories of what it is to be a Republican. But they all agree with what the alt right stands for, fundamentally, not just because of their hatred, but this groupthink collectivist ideology is not conservative and is not libertarian. You're saying the alt-right? The alt-right is a collectivist right. movement. So you mentioned something earlier I just want to touch on really quickly that um, kind of like you said Don Lemon and like the media isn't getting Antifa right. Do you think they get the, the other side, the alt-right right? Like the white supremacists and stuff? Do you think it's two sides of the same coin like are we misunderstanding both sides or I think they're understanding that correctly okay I mean I don't see why you know I don't see a misinterpretation of the alt-right there an abysmal disgusting horrible I could go on a rant all day long but the point is that they are they are not um, they are not definitive of the, the culture as a whole right. they're not definitive of what this country is about but or maybe how just by nature gone. of um, Antifa being like left people are aren't fully exposing it could be a partisan thing or it could be as mark bray talked about the historical ramifications mm -hmm. of antifa that historically from the origins of it it wasn't as i've learned in the presentation it wasn't initially this kind of violent it's um, transformed it's transformed and maybe people haven't caught up with the times, so to speak right. i don't know the exact reasons why but i would hope that that gets changed. I know there are areas that have noticed. The Department of Defense in New Jersey, for example, just a few hours from where we're sitting, they recognize Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. So there are certain places that recognize the violence that is going on, but it's not recognized to the level as I would like to see. I don't like to see anyone get hurt on a college campus. I don't like to see anyone get hurt anywhere, period. But when you have this behavior repeating time and time again I know that we've discussed that Antifa doesn't have any particular leader but what they do have are certain tactics that are consistent throughout the group not just in the United States but as I've mentioned in Germany and in Canada as well and when those 
characteristics keep popping up, it just makes me wonder how many more people have to get hurt before we realize that this isn't a kind organization as some might want you to think. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for bringing all that up. I want to turn now to the event at Ithaca College and kind of bring it into a more Mm -hmm. um, local context. So on October 5th, a visiting professor in the Department of Sociology, his name is Andrew Thompson, he helped bring a speaker who we've both mentioned a couple times, Mark Bray, to campus to talk about the history of Antifa, the movement, and a little bit about the political context today. But as you mentioned, maybe not as much as you would have liked. I would like to note here that I did reach out to the Ithaca College Democrats as well, and eboard members were either unavailable to make it today or did not wish to appear on the podcast. One eboard member did confirm to me, however, that he met with um, you and the Republican Club, President Shirley Collado, and a member of public safety before Bray's event to discuss safety and logistics, um, as the speaker could be considered controversial or the, the subject matter um, definitely was, especially as violence has occurred on other campuses with speakers like this. So, Caleb, I want to pivot back to you now. Can you first talk about um, the IC Republicans' involvement in the event? or that initial meeting with President Collado? So when we first found when I first found out about the event, I was confused as to the nature or the goals of the event. Now I'm a First Amendment advocate. I would never try to silence or disinvite anyone from coming to this campus. I wanted to know more answers as to what it was going to be about. So I did some looking into it and as it turns out it was It was brought together by the departments of sociology as well as the department of politics which then led to the question of okay if you know the 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 students should always come first with any event now with this event my question was why are they holding this if there's not a huge interest because it's important to note that no political group on campus neither the democrats neither the progressives the republicans or even the libertarians within young americans for liberty asked for this event to happen so that was my first major question is why is this event coming together if no students are are putting it together so that's a reasonable question but the other one was in terms of the subject matter what was controversial was i looked into mark bray's history and at the university of dartmouth it can be interpreted that on face value just based off of reading what he had said that he condoned the usage of violence he talked about how antifa has you know, resorted to those those tactics of, of violent usage. And when I read that, I was a bit concerned because, as I've mentioned before, I don't want anybody on this campus to get harmed. Did he condone it, or was he just talking about that as a hallmark of Antifa? See, that's where that's where the, um, the Am- line ambiguity comes. That's line? where the okay. ambi- that's the line of ambiguity. So you were concerned that maybe that could people be something, would take it as him advocating right. for violence, and okay. even if he didn't advocate for violence and he said this is a characteristic of Antifa I don't want anybody in the audience to walk away and say you know what that's that's what I want to do that sounds like a great idea so my concern wasn't necessarily the idea although it could have happened and it was important to be prepared for it my concern wasn't necessarily that someone was going to go into this event and start swinging my concern was that Someone was going to walk away from this event thinking, this is the appropriate action for me to take. If I find somebody that I think is offensive on this campus or in my life, I should start swinging. I should start stabbing. I should start doing things that are not okay by any mean of the definition. And that's why I brought that to the attention of, of 
Brian Roberts because I see him. He's an advisor for me. He's someone that I ca counsels me a lot, and I talk to him. And under further conversations, we decided maybe we should bring this up to the office of the president because I was concerned that at no point in planning for this event had the departments of sociology nor the department of politics they didn't inform public safety that this event was going on and it's when you have something of this nature where there is a possibility even if it's a slight possibility it's just best to be on your toes and it's just best to be safe you know it's it's a matter of you know you don't want it to happen you don't want anyone to get hurt but if somebody gets you know, intense or they get some form of emotions based off of what is said, I'd rather the campus and the event to be prepared because I don't want to see anyone get yeah, hurt. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And um, we actually reported last month that administrators of the college had talked before about how IC would respond if a far right or just controversial speaker in general was to come to campus to prevent the kind of violent protests that we have seen breaking out on other campuses. Um, that actually leads me to a question. I see Republicans has hosted speakers before, but never to the caliber of uh, Richard Spencer or Milo Yiannopoulos. And I wouldn't lump Mark Bray in with them either. But what's kind of your philosophy or the club's philosophy on sponsoring speakers? At the current moment, we are looking into speakers. I'm not going to reveal anybody that we're looking into at this current time, but it comes down to what is the subject matter of what you're trying to discuss. If you're trying to discuss Second Amendment, there's certainly a lot of people that, that can fit that topic. If you're trying to discuss abortion, there's a lot of uh, topic uh, speakers that can reach that. So it really comes down to what is the message that you're trying to convey, and is this the person that's the best person to convey said message? And that's something that we as a board are deciding right now, is based off of you know what's going on in the in, in our culture, what's happening in our country, and more specifically in our community, who are the best speakers to bring in? And at this current time, it's too early for me to say who those people are. Do you know who those people aren't? It's fair to say we're not going to bring Richard Spencer because, as I've mentioned before, the alt-right is not a conservative ideology, and my group is consistent mostly of conservatives, libertarians, and classical liberals, and it's fair to say that somebody who believes in a groupthink, uh, party politics style where your race is definitive of who you are is not at all an aspect of any of those ideologies. So it's fair to say that Richard Spencer wouldn't be brought to this campus. God, I can't even imagine if he was in Ithaca. Oh my. So as for Mark Bray's discussion that you attended, what was your take on it overall? We kind of have alluded to it, but synthesize that for me. It was a historical timeline of the origins up until, up until I'd say this past decade of, of Antifa which is important to know. I mean, those who, shall, who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. It's important to know how we got to where we are. I would have been interested to hear more on his take for what's actually happening right now because that's what's continuing to happen. So it's not like this is something that, oh, it has, nothing's happened since Charlottesville or nothing's happened since um, Milo went to Berkeley. I mean, went, they, to invite the speaker to Berkeley this year Ben Shapiro, who is by no means a white supremacist. He's an Orthodox Jew, and over $600,000 was spent in security for the event. The business owners near Berkeley were shutting down early and boarding down their windows 
I think that says a lot about the state of free speech and higher education in America. If you can't even bring a speaker to campus without spending an asinine amount of money to protect the community and that business owners in the area have to barricade their doors and their windows that says a lot about where we are right now. Right. You said it says a lot about free speech. In what way? In the sense that the uh, Berkeley specifically, UC Berkeley, was and is considered by many the epicenter of the free speech movement in America. During the civil rights movement in the 1960s, these were the guys, and by the guys, I mean students and professors and those within the Berkeley community, were the ones who were creating dialogue. These are the ones who were the activists during the civil rights movement, ensuring that minorities have the same fundamental rights to free speech and expression in this country as anyone else. These are the ones who were making sure that your free speech rights were top notch. Now they're taking those rights away. And it's very saddening to watch that happen at, of all the places in the country, for it to happen at Berkeley. And as, and free speech is important to me. My grandfather was at the March on Washington. He was a civil rights activist. He was very much into that. And my, my mother and her siblings tell me about some of the injuries and some of the pain that he underwent fighting for equality and fighting for what's right. And that's something that I carry with pride. I have that in my blood. And to now turn around half a century later and see that it's my generation, not as a whole, I'm not saying everyone as a whole, but many within my generation are the ones who want to take those rights away and not necessarily from one group. I'm saying take as a whole, okay. taking away free speech clarify. rights. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying so taking away. So it's not like away. left against right or right against left. It's like everybody. It's a matter of people are taking away speech and expression that they deem offensive. Right. But what about the argument for, you know, defining somebody like, Richard Spencer or Milo Yiannopoulos is like hate speech when, you know, very targeted um, attacks on individuals meant to incite violence or something of that nature. You know, I've seen the argument that what they say could be considered hate speech. Like, where's your... So it's, it's funny that you bring up hate speech. I am in a First Amendment law class, and there is no legal definition of hate speech because, as I've talked about with other things, it's very subjective. Now, Milo Yiannopoulos, as well as... Other characters, I mean, you could put Alex Jones in that mix. You can put other people. He is a character act. In many cases, he is a character act. Again, I'm, I'm not discussing who we are or not bringing. I'm talking about his style. You asked about his style. You asked about hate speech. Hate speech is a subjective term, and you can't define it. Richard Spencer is just a terrible human being. That's how I would how I would describe him. He's just a terrible human being. And I have the free speech to say that, which is beautiful. I'm hoping that kind of answers your question. In a way, yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is we've touched on it a little bit, but what do you think it is specifically about the nature of a college campus that is kind of making it a battleground for these discussions? Which discussions? Discussions of free speech and um, I mean even like Antifa groups versus like alt-right groups um, 
why do people, why are we kind of gravitating towards the college campus to see all of this stuff? Well, Antifa specifically is because that's where they're, they're targeting the most. That's where the, you find the attacks happening at either college campuses when a speaker is brought in or you see them at big events such as Charlottesville or something right. of that but is, it, is there something about the nature of higher education or like why college campuses is what I'm wondering like I wrote an article when I was a reporter for USA Today about how um, the alt-right is recruiting from college campuses like with flyers like more than they ever have before like what is it about being a college student right now that I'm not going to speak about what the alt-right tactics are because I don't know what the alt-right tactics are because I'm not that's not something that I'm interested in joining. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to speak on what they are doing or how they're operating. That's not something that that is my prerogative. What I will speak about is the state of free speech. At the end of the day, we are at a place of higher learning. We are at a place, an institution, and an institution is a place more than anywhere else in our society where people are supposed to come together with all different backgrounds, whether it's a cultural background, it's a, a, a racial background, it's a, a a, a religious background, a political background, all these experiences are being blended together. What makes the university shine, ideally, is that you're being thrown into this place with a bunch of people you might have never met before, experiences you might have never seen before, and then you throw them into the classroom, in this place I like to call the marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. And you have these discussions about hot button issues, about um, and it could be it could be politics, but it could even be something in science and math and engineering. And everybody has uses their background to spew out these ideas. Some are really good. Some are OK. Some are really bad. You throw that one away. But everybody throws their ideas in there and you mold them together like a soup, so to speak. And at the end of the day, there it is. There is the idea. That's the next big thing. That's why college is supposed to be, ideally, the perfect place for these free speech, free market place of ideas. You have people who would have never met each other. They're coming together. They're throwing those ideas out. And at the end, they're leaving, ideally, smarter. They're leaving better and they're leaving more informed than they ever would have been if they just stayed in their small town or they stayed in their community because they met people from all across the country and in order for the university to shine that needs to be sustained once a university becomes an echo chamber where everybody has the same way of thinking or the same ideology and anybody who has a different way of thinking is pushed away and not allowed into the marketplace of ideas. It no longer becomes a marketplace of ideas. It just becomes one product. It just becomes one thought. And people end up leaving less informed because they never learn about things that don't follow their confirmation bias. And I'm sure as a journalist, you know a little bit about confirmation bias and why that can be a very dangerous thing to your learning. And so that's one of the reasons why I think we have these conversations on college institutions. I think the other reason why is because people know that we are the future of this world. We are the next leaders. We are the next media moguls. We are the next scientists. We are the next engineers. And they want to be sure um, that we are leaving with the most informed 
idea of the world as possible. And that's why it is so critical, it is so crucial for the future of the republic that intellectual diversity and the marketplace of ideas stays on the college institution. And in some places, that's being a harder battle than others. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up here today. Thank you so much.